good. All right, good morning, everyone. Um, last Sunday before uh, 2013, we're not meeting next week, so uh, just bear that in mind. I will send reminder texts and emails. Both of you, that I wanted to start before we get into um, the last part of our Christmas at the movie series. I wanted just to recap what we've ha- what's happened over the Christmas period, in case you missed it or you missed some of the headlines. We did a messy Christmas what, two Sundays ago. I think it was. Uh, it was an absolutely outstanding time if you didn't come. We had 40 children in here, uh, about a 50-50 split, as Mel, uh, Melanie could work out, uh, from church kids and non-church kids who were just inviting their friends. Melanie said there was a number of faces she recognised from people who were regularly coming to our events, um, our kind of things we do for children. And so that's fantastic. I was absolutely thrilled with that. The kids had a great time biscuit making, making Christmas decorations. There was glitter everywhere. Uh, that was brilliant. Then we had the Christmas... At Costa, that was on Friday the 13th, uh, which Dave had put together, which was absolutely fantastic if you came. Lots of excellent music from our musicians, lots of fun. I think one of the highlights for me was how much the staff at Costa loved it. The actual the staff there who were serving us, they just thoroughly enjoyed it. They were taking photos and videos. I don't know if they've uploaded them or tagged you, I don't know. But they were thrilled, and they, they actually wanted us to come back, and so it was a really good time. So really pleased um, with that one. Then last week we had our Christmas guest meeting, which was um, the biggest we'd ever had in this room. There was nearly 70 of us here, uh, which was, I was just thrilled with. I mean, lots of friends, uh, visitors, and we just had a great time. Mel did a great job of speaking, had a great time out with the kids, and so that was just stunning. So God has been really good to us, and, and I want to say a big thank you to everyone involved in all those events. Well done. I mean, it's been brilliant. Praise God. But it also took a lot of hard work from you guys, so I'm thrilled uh, for that. Big thank you. What um, we also mentioned last week, which we're going to do in the, um, in the worship, is we're going to have an offering. Here's our offering bucket. Well, for Home Start, um, we're going to do it again first week back in January as well, so to make sure we, we give everyone an opportunity. There are envelopes on your chairs, or near your chairs, if you want to put them in, and during the worship time will come, I'll give an opportunity. I've got my checkbook here. You can put cash in, you can put check in. Checks make payable to Real Life Church, and we'll... Um, We'll put them in and we'll bless Homestart who serve a lot of the young families um, who are in, in need of a bit of help. Wendy um, volunteers for them. So if you want to find out a bit more about what she gets up to, have a chat with her. All right, moving on to today. Last part of our um, Christmas series. If you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2, please. Luke chapter 2. We've looked at the director of the movie, God's overall plan, and what he's trying to do in, in bringing Christ to earth and Christ's mission. Jesus' mission, then we look particularly at the leading man of our story, Jesus himself, and what that meant, and his role in the story, and actually he's the hero of the story. We're not the hero of our story, Jesus is the hero of our story. Then last week we looked, um, mainly looked at the Muppet Christmas Carol, taught some things out of there, and now I'm looking, the final part is the supporting cast of this story. Um, And if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you'll know who the supporting cast are, but we're going to look at the passage and have a look at them. Now, the supporting cast, the supporting actors and actresses in any stories, they're not the stars of the show, they're not the heroes, they're not the main people in any story, but yet they play a vital role in the story. They're the ones who help the story move along. They often help the hero out at times of trouble or teach him something, train him for what's coming ahead, or they serve as advice or a sounding board. So they're not the main thing, but they're hugely important in what is going on in the story. And in the Christmas story, there's no different. We have a supporting cast which actually fill out the story. They're not what it's about. They're not the main thing. We've looked at the main thing. That's Jesus. But we'll find out that they actually have a 
pivotal role to play in pointing us to Jesus and teaching us about him. Before we get into that, I want to look at some uh, supporting actors, famous supporting actors over the years. Now these, when you get to do something like this, you get to pick your favourites. So what we're going to have on the PowerPoint in just a moment is some people who have won Oscars for their role as supporting actors. Now they weren't the stars of the show, but they were in it and they were recognised for their contribution. And what I want you to do in a moment when they come up is I want you to tell me who it was, who it is, that's probably the easy bit, then if you can tell me what film they won their Oscar for, and the clue is in the picture. I've hopefully picked the picture from the film, so that will give you a clue. And if you're really flash, you can tell me the year. So, can we have the first person, please? Who's the first supporting actor? That is Sean Connery. Give me the film. What did he win his Oscar for supporting actor? 1987. That is from the film. I could, do you want me to start quoting the film to help you? If you give us a clue, if I say, if, he pull, if he, one of his guys pulls a knife, you pull a gun. When he sends one of your guys to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. The Untouchables. Thank you very much. One of my favourite films, Elliot Ness. Sean Connery won an Oscar for Best Sporting Actor. Who's the next one? One of my all-time favourite films. Go on, this is the hard one. Fiscal oh, Wonder, that is Kevin Klein from A Fiscal Wonder. Don't call me stupid. 1988, he won an Oscar for that. Next one. That's not. Tommy Lee Jones from The Fugitive, 1993, won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. They, obviously, the, the star of the show, Harrison Ford, was Dr. Richard Kimball, The Fugitive. The next one, who's this guy? Kevin Spacey, what did he win his Oscar for? Best Supporting Actor was from the film... The Usual Suspects. If you can get over the appalling language, it is an absolutely stunning film. That was uh, 1995. He won that. Who is Kaiser Soze? There it is. Who's the next one? One for the ladies. Oh, we, oh, we missed one out. Oh, he's not in there. That wasn't, sorry, the one we missed out then. Oh, that, you've missed that one. Who's that? And the film is? The Dark Knight, 2008. 2008. He won that posthumously after his, um, his, his passing. But they are guys who've all won their act Oscars for Best Supporting Actor. And what we're going to do now is we're going to look at our, our passage today and look at the sporting cast of the story and see how they point and they help out the hero of our story, Jesus. We looked at that a few weeks ago. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2, and we'll start at verse 8. Luke chapter 2, the, now, the familiar Christmas story. Okay, verse 8, it says, And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. 
And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying uh, that had been told concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds said. Okay, the supporting cast in this story is the angels and the shepherds. Our leading man is Jesus. He is the focus of the story. But the supporting cast that we're going to be looking at today is both the angels and the shepherds. So let's go through this passage. It begins, and in the same region, because we just had the birth um, of Jesus himself, it says, there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, a little bit about shepherds, a bit of background. They lived outside the town, They looked after the sheep. That was their job. They were just ordinary guys doing their job. This term, we we did the um, the Thank God It's Monday series looking at the role of work and our our kind of part in it. These were guys who were just doing their job. It was an ordinary day of work for them. They were out in the fields kind of work. And they they were guys who had to sleep in the open with their animals. That was kind of what the job entailed, to look after um, the sheep. They couldn't make festivals and sacrifices kind of in the temple, in the courts in Jerusalem, because they were out in the fields working. So they couldn't uh, maintain the kind of Jewish religious devotions with any kind of consistency because they were busy elsewhere. So they were not regular churchgoers, if at all, um, at that time. Uh, They they were often considered uh, sort of with suspicion. They were considered a bit shady, crooks and thieves, kind of. That was the kind of people who gravitated that role um, away um, from church and they were a suspicious bunch who couldn't actually testify in court. They didn't have any legal grounds to actually uh, testify in the court. Yet despite this, many of the most important figures in Israel's history were shepherds. We have um, Abraham was a shepherd, his son Isaac was a shepherd, Jacob was a shepherd, Jacob's sons were shepherds, Moses and David were also shepherds at certain points. So it is a, a role with a deep and rich history. It wasn't an easy job, it was a tough job. It was kind of all day, and then all night. And even at night, the people, they had to take watch, didn't they? they had to take it in turns with watching, so they didn't even get to kind of sleep through the night. It was a 24-hour-a-day job. The only thing I could cons- kind of liken it to was parenting small children. You're with them all day and active, and then even when kind of you're as- they're asleep and you're there, you don't know when suddenly they're going to wake up and you're going to have to deal with something. So that was that kind of, that's the nearest I could kind of identify with it. During the day, they would have to provide the sheep with food and water and make sure none got lost. Again, I guess like parenting small children, you know, where are they? You know, that kind of thing. So make sure all the sheep were together. And then at night, they had to protect them from wild animals and thieves who would steal them. So there was a, a real strong protective role in it, a tough, difficult job. And it was, would have been a cold night. They'd have been huddled around the campfire these guys trying to keep warm. The fire would have been important because it would have kept uh, the wild animals away. It also kept them warm. But there was a vigilance about what they're doing to protect the sheep. So for them, it was an ordinary kind of day or night at work, doing what they were supposed to be doing, looking after the sheep. And then the the other supporting cast member turns up and everything changes. It says in verse 9, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Angels turn up, or are mentioned in the Bible, about 270 times. So they're quite common throughout the pages of Scripture. They are created heavenly beings who dwelt in God's presence. Created heavenly beings. Uh, They are glorious in appearance. When angels tend to turn up, they tend to scare people, and often the first words out of their mouth are, fear not, 
which kind of points to something about their, their demeanour when they turn up, something uh, marvellous, something glorious about them. They are spiritual in nature, which is different to us. Uh, Psalm 104 describes them as flames of fire. There's this kind of dynamic about them that is otherworldly, divine. Uh, they are extremely powerful. There's a story in 2 Kings 19, I think it's echoed again in Isaiah 37, where uh, an angel killed 185,000 Assyrian warriors in one night. I mean, that just Jason Bourne eat your heart out. I mean, come on. You can take out a few guys, but 185,000 in one hit. They are extremely powerful. One of the angels described when Adam and Eve were removed from the garden, he would guard the entrance of the garden with a flaming sword. It's described in Genesis 3. Powerful, so that no one could kind of enter. Um, so they are powerful beings. They are beings who worship. We read in Isaiah 6 um, and Revelation 7, they are around the throne of God, worshipping God in his presence, crying out how holy he is. They are created beings, so they are therefore not worshipped. We read in Revelation uh, 19, I think it is John, almost quite a worship, the angel that appeared. It was so magnificent. And the angel rebuked him and said, do not do that. We only worship God. You don't worship me. I'm, I'm not the one to be worshipped. We also find out there are an awful lot of them. Revelation 5, thousands upon thousands, myriads of angels, multitudes of angels. There are many, many of them. Um, angel means messenger, and they're often using that context to deliver uh, messages. Abraham was delivered a message when he was about to sacrifice Isaac. The angel of the Lord came up and said, don't do that. That's not what you're to do. Uh, the birth of Samson in Judges 13 was preceded by an angelic uh, messenger. Gideon in Judges 6, an angel came and spoke to him about him, his role in defeating uh, the Midianites. We have the birth of Jesus, the birth of John, uh, the Baptist, angels involved in that. And in uh, Acts chapter 8, Philip uh, was told by an angel to go out where he spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch who was then converted. Um, so they, they bring messages and uh, they also bring the glory of God with them. Glory of God which it describes in the passage. And it says, when this angels turned up, they were, it says the, um, the shepherds were terrified. It says they were filled with a great fear. So they weren't just a bit of fear, which we can all get a bit afraid. It was a great fear. There was exceeding fear. They were terrified at what they saw. There was something about the appearance of this angel. And I imagine something about the suddenness because they're around the campfire, probably chatting. You know, who knows what they're chatting about? The sheep, you know, telling stories, jokes, you know, toking the fire, and suddenly, an angel of the Lord appears, and they are just absolutely uh, panicked by this and terrified, it, terrified um, by what they see. And the angel then gives them a message. It says in verse ten, it says, "The angel said to them, oh, look, fear not, <laughs> fear not.' So they were they were scared. Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news." of great joy, that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So the angel brings a message, which is often the case. And he starts with fear not, trying to kind of get their attention because they're probably freaking out at this point. Um, and what does this message he brings? The first thing he says, it's good news of great joy for all people. Everyone likes good news, don't they? Good news is, is great. Everyone likes good news. Everyone likes hearing good news. It's a wonderful thing. But this good news, it says it's for all people. It's no longer just for one ethnic group, one sort of uh, particular family or anything. It's suddenly, this is a news for everybody. Everyone needs to hear this. 
What we, what we see here, what we see we're shadowing is God's plan for the nations, not just for one people group, one group, um, sort of the physical descendants of Abraham, Israel. No, this is now the, the news is going wider. And it's beginning here with the birth of Christ. The angel said, this is good news for all people, for everyone you can do that. And he's, then he goes on to say, for unto you a child is born. So this good news is about a person. It's about a baby. That baby is Jesus. This news is centred not on an event, but so much on an individual. That's the good news. The good news of Christianity is a person. It's Jesus. Christianity is not about rules or kind of things you must do or must not do, as often people think. It's actually all about a person. And that person is Jesus. So this good news, I've come to bring you good news, the angel says, and it's about a baby who has been born today. But then he says, this baby has been born in the city of David, which is just a reference to Bethlehem, which we looked at in the director's sermon. And the ref- Bethlehem was a home of David, the great king of Israel, the mighty king of Israel, the one who defeated Israel's enemies. He killed the giant Goliath, being kind of the big story, but he extended the boundaries of Israel. He was a mighty warrior, powerful in battle, kind of undefeated. He would take it to the enemy, defeated the Philistines. He was one who Israel revered as a great king, but he was also described as a man after God's own heart, Godly king, he wrote the Psalms, or many of the Psalms we have in our Bible were penned by David. If you read about it, it says a Psalm of David. So not only was he a warrior, he was a poet who loved the Lord and served the Lord. And it had been promised in the Old Testament that one of David's descendants would come, who would sit on his throne, God had promised. But he said, he's not just going to sit on your throne like David did, but eventually he'd die. He'll sit on his throne and he will reign forever. Whatever. So a descendant is coming greater than David and he will sit on that throne and he will rule and reign forever. And when we did the director sermon, we looked at the promises God had made through Scripture um, concerning that. And the angel was telling him, I'm saying, all those promises, they're being fulfilled in the city of David. One is born who will be that king, that king that has been promised. And then he gives Jesus three titles. He says he is Saviour and he is Christ and he is Lord. So this is what we, I've had two sons and I've watched them being born, okay? And we gave him a name. We didn't give him titles. You know, I'd like to have given him titles, but, you know, it was just, he, he got a name and I thought that was a good deal. When you go, born. this baby, he's been given a name, but he has given titles about who he is. The first one, he is a saviour. He is going to rescue people, people who are in danger. You only need rescuing if you're in danger. You only need saviour if there is a problem and you need to be got out of that. And this baby is going to rescue and save people. He is going to save people in danger. People are in trouble from, for their sins. We find out as we read the Bible, that's what the problem is. And this baby is the one who's going to save them and rescue them from that. He then describes them as Christ, which means anointed one, Messiah. This is the one that was spoken of in the Old Testament and the prophets. One who is going to come from God, who would restore Israel, this chosen one. And, he's, and the angel saying, this baby is that one, that one who is going to come. He also describes him as Lord. Lord meaning sovereign ruler. The one who is above all, the highest authority. No one is, is greater than him in authority. So he is someone who is going to save everyone from their sins. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, who has been prophesied about and Israel is waiting for. And he is the one who is going to rule and reign for above everything. And these are titles that actually are kind of reserved for divinity, reserved for God. So the angel is telling you, I'm saying, actually, God's been born. 
that's what they are because those are the tithes you only give to God himself. And Israel would have known that. They, you don't give those tithes to anyone. Saviour, Christ and Lord are titles reserved only for the God of Israel. And the angel's saying, he's been born. He's a baby over there. The one who has come is God. And that must have been stunning for the shepherds to hear. And so you get this, and he said, and this will be a sign to you, to know I'm speaking this that is the truth. I'll, I'll give you, this will be the sign to know. You think, what sign would there be that if God had been born, what sign would there be? There'd be a magnificent palace that he's been born into. There'd be servants in waiting. He would have uh, so much money and wealth and, and a crown and all these things. That would be awesome. Remember, we had a future king born recently called George. You know, the fuss surrounding the birth of this future king, uh, you know, you can kind of understand what it should be like. The, the media coverage, the expectation, when's he going to arrive, you know. Do we even know it was a he? I don't know if we did. We just knew there was going to be a baby. And then finally it comes and it's got a name and ooh, and everyone goes berserk and pictures and all sorts. So what's the sign the angel gives when this, this king is coming? But he's not just, you know, a king of little areas. He's going to be the king of everything, the king of the universe. He says... You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a feeding trough of an animal. An animal's feeding trough. That's where you're going to find him. You're going to find him. And if he's lying in an animal's feeding trough, it doesn't actually explicitly say it, but he'll be in a stable or some kind of animal holding place. You know, where do you keep the animals? That's where he's going to be. And he's going to be lying in the feeding trough. Not in a palace, not somewhere important like Rome which was the centre of power, military might, economic power of its day, which would have been hundreds and hundreds of miles away. He said, no, it's in that rural town down the road, in a stable, in a cow's feeding trough. This incredible news is coming. The one that Israel has been waiting for has arrived. And he's arrived really close to you, just down the road. And this is stunning, breathtaking news, because the, the, the people of God have been waiting for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for this. Stuff was prophesied in the Old Testament. Between the Old and the New Testament, there was a gap. We turn the page in our Bible, but that's about 400 years when you just turn the page. They've been waiting for this, expecting something's coming, and the good news has finally arrived. We've had good news in this church this year. We've had uh, babies been born. We've had people buying houses, church growing. We've had events we've run, loads of exciting things God has done. But this, this news surpasses all that and even more, that God himself has come to earth. And as if to kind of really underline and emphasize the point, we go to verse 13, it says, the angel delivers his message, which would be stunning in and of itself, that these guys have heard it. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So you have one angel who's turned up at a campfire and delivered this message, which was scary enough. But then suddenly, the sky, I imagine, behind them, around them, is filled with a multitude of angels, a myriad of angels. We don't actually know how many, but let's just say a lot. A lot of angels. I imagine the night turned to day with the light. They filled the sky, and they were singing. So not only was it visually stunning, blinding what they saw, there must have been a level of volume and noise. It might have been deafening because these angels turn up singing, praising glory to God in the highest. We get a glimpse of what it might look like in Isaiah 
chapter 6, where we see the seraphim who are, who are singing round God. It says they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah is overwhelmed by what he hears and what he sees. And there would have been something of that for these four shepherds. I mean, they were just minding their own business. And suddenly God broke in and changed everything. And the only thing I could kind of imagine what it might have been like was uh, you kind of watched the fireworks on New Year's Eve or on bonfire nights, that noise as it goes off and suddenly there are lights in the sky and what was dark is suddenly illuminated and they have those ones that flash powerfully that kind of give you spots before your eyes. It must have been like that, only multiplied. You know, this stunning kind of display of angels praising God uh, in the night sky overwhelming. I, that's a, an evening those guys would never have forgotten um, seeing the heavenly host there. Powerful things. Then it says, what was the shepherd's response to this? When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see these things that have happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. So, the angels, the guys are sitting there, maybe having dinner, sitting around the fire trying to keep warm. The angel turns up, delivers a message. The angel's friends turn up, all of them. Glory to God. They're like, wow. Then they go. Imagine the second after they go. Do you reckon which was the first guy to speak? As they're all like, you know, did anyone else see that? You know, that kind of question that had gone around the campfire. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Did you hear that? I saw that. And there was this, this is the message. What do we do? It says they left. They left with great haste. You know, in modern vernacular, they legged it. They just, they were out of there, which when you think about, that's a big deal because what have they just left behind? Their income and their job. They've left behind the sheep that they're responsible for. That was why they were there. That's why they're out there at night. We're here to look after these sheep, protect these sheep. Their world is suddenly interrupted with the angel saying, by the way, God's been born over there. And they just leave it. They leave everything. It reminds me of when Jesus called his disciples. What did it say about the fishermen by the shore? They left it. They left their nets. They left their boats and they followed him. They just left it all. They didn't consider it important in light of the news that they received. So they left it. They must have gone down from the hills, wherever they were, the fields, made their way into the town. It doesn't actually say how they found the baby. That's interesting. They must have searched it out, you know, what's going on. And we know that the town of Bethlehem would have been full at the time because of the census and people travelling there. So there'd have been a lot of bodies around. But they go with great haste and they find that everything the angels said was true. There's a baby wrapped in cloth lying in an animal feeding trough. And they find the parents, uh, Mary and Joseph, there. But it's interesting to note what their response is. They've they've heard the message. They've gone to to see for themselves, to check it out. Well, is this true? Yeah, it's true. Look, we can see it. We've met the baby. We've seen the parents. This is true. It's what the angel said is true. So then they went and told others. They, They carried on. They shared the message. They said, you'll never guess what. <laughs> you never guess what happened at work today. An angel turned up, <laughs> told us that God had been born. We went and looked, and he had. And they shared it with others. Um, and they responded to it. And so these, the shepherds and the angels kind of represent two extremes of the supporting cast of this story. We have the shepherds, the outsiders, those maybe who are looked down upon, uh, poor, 
uh, by comparison um, to others. They're probably not church goers, you know, thought of a bit shady, a bit dodgy uh, sometimes. And you have the angels, majestic, miraculous, divine beings who dwelt in the presence of God and carried out kind of what God's kind of messengers um, and orders were. But both of them, despite those things, point to the infant Jesus, point to the baby Jesus, and they've both got something to teach us about this baby that was born. The first one, the angels point to heaven. The angels point to heaven. This is no ordinary baby. I've seen two boys born, up close and personal. There were no, that I could hear of, angelic messengers or singing. It was just, they were born, and it was exciting, but there was nothing kind of angelic, no one, there were no shepherds turned up to look. We wouldn't have let them in if there were, but they didn't come you know, to check us out or anything like that. There was no heavenly singing that I could make out or like that. It was just me, Melanie, the little baby, and, and the midwives who were serving us uh, so well. So, but there was something special about this child. Angels turned up. There was something important. Heaven had come to earth here. There was a breaking in of the divine. God had promised that he would send someone. He would send a saviour. And there was something, the hints in the Old Testament, you see, there's something about this person that has come that wasn't ordinary. Actually, when you read it, you think there's, the only person who can fulfill some of this stuff that God had promised was God himself. And God himself had come to earth as a baby. He was prophesied. You know, the virgin birth was prophesied. The place of birth was prophesied. Um, elements about it prophesied. He's, it was given identity in Isaiah. This baby that would be born would be called Mighty God. Um, it would be Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us, that means. So that God himself had come to us, the one who had always existed before the creation of everything, had now entered creation as a baby. But also we read through our Old Testament, we find actually this is no ordinary baby just in his birth. There's going to be something different about his life. He's going to live a life that's going to end suddenly. It's going to end with his death. He's going to suffer and die. It says he's going to be hung on a tree foreshadowing the cross of Christ. He's going to die and he's going to save people from their sins. He's going to bear that punishment, the sin, which is what um, the good news the angel pointed out. The Bible also says there's a problem. It says this baby's important, but it says there's a problem. And the reality is everyone knows there's a problem with the world. You just have to watch the news for that. You know something's wrong, something needs fixing. The Bible offers a diagnosis. The Bible calls it sin. The Bible says the problem is sin. It's rebellion against God. It's falling short of God's perfect standards. God is holy, pure and perfect in every way. And we are rebels against that. We are guilty under his standard, under his judgments. The, the reality is we can't keep God's laws. We can't even keep our own ones. And you're going to, have, you're going to come, up, come up against this very soon when we hit New Year. <laughs> New Year's resolutions, anyone? Oh yeah, I, I make them. And it, they last 24, 48 hours you know, before I'm, I'm failing already at the rules I've made or the plans I've made for my own life. We, we, we make things, right, we make our own kind of set of rules, the way we're going to live, the way we're going to act. We're not going to do this, we are going to do this. And we fail again and again and again at our own standards, let alone God's perfect holy standards because the problem that we have isn't external the problem isn't with government systems the problem isn't with the way we're legislated or we need new rules or we need this we need that the problem is internal the Bible says the problem is you in your fundamental being 
you're flawed, you're broken, right inside. And so actually whatever you do on the outside will ultimately be, be marred anyway because it's coming because you're the one involved. The heart of the pr- human problem is the problem of the human heart. We're corrupted at every level. And God knows that. Therefore, we're under judgment. We're under his perfect judgment. And we stand without an excuse because we know we're guilty. And we sometimes try and, you know, measure ourselves against someone else and say, oh, we're obviously better than them. But actually, when you measure yourself against perfection, everyone falls short. And there's no way out. We can't fix it. We can't fix ourselves, which means we require a saviour. Thank God he sent one. The arrival of Jesus means the problem that we cannot fix can be fixed, and only God can do the fixing. But he's going to do it in an unexpected way. He's going to send a helpless baby to a nowhere place in a backwater country. He didn't send this baby to Rome, which is the place he should have sent him, or I I would have sent him. That's the important place. He'd get the press there. He'd get his own Facebook page there. He'd definitely have his own Twitter with thousands of followers there, because everyone would know about him. He'd be in the papers and the glossy magazines. No, we'll send him... We'll send him somewhere else where I'd planned all along. That's where God sent it. He left behind the glory of heaven. He laid aside his majesty, the Bible says, and he came as a helpless infant in a baby. He will live a life perfectly that we never could live, no one ever could live, and he will die a death that we should have died. He will take the punishment we should have paid. He will bear the punishment for our sin, and he will rise victorious and offer us freedom as we follow him. So the angels are vital in the story because they point to heaven. They point to something beyond us. They point to where this baby came from, that Jesus is God himself come to earth, fully God and fully man at the same time. And he lived the perfect life, died the death we should have died, then rose victorious and to offer us new life in him. The second characters, the shepherds, they point to earth. The shepherds are just like us just like mankind. They're ordinary guys going about their daily life. They're they're those on the outside. They're separated from God, from God's people. They are fallen, flawed human beings. And often when we think about kind of fallen human beings or sinful human beings, that's quite a churchy word, we often immediately go to obvious sinners, people who live what we would think are immoral lifestyles, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll. We think of that kind of lifestyle and think, oh yes, you know, they're, they're the ones that God needs to, to deal with, God needs to save, because their sin is obvious in what they do. But the reality is, there's other people who are just as bad as them, those people who try to live good, holy, moral, religious lives. We try and earn our way to God. We try and earn our salvation. We try and, and, and clean ourselves up and make ourselves acceptable. So you've got one extreme, people who are just like, I'm not interested in that, I'm going to live the way I want and I don't care who gets hurt. And then you've got the other extreme, which are those people who are thinking, well, I'm so superior because I live a good and right and healthy, a holy life. I live a life that is acceptable. Therefore, God must love me. God must accept me. And both of them are flawed. Both of them are sinful. However you respond to to God, whether it's one extreme or the other extreme, neither of them are acceptable. It's not enough to just let's attend church, live good lives, give to charity. You don't deal with the problem. The reality is everyone is a sinner and no matter how we express it, we all have that in our lives. But just like the shepherds, God broke in and visited them. It was totally unexpected do you notice the shepherds weren't searching? They were just sitting, doing their job, going about life, and God broke in. 
suddenly, dramatically. The good news entered their life and everything changed. And if you are a believer here, a Christian here, that's what happened to you. You were just going about life, living it away from God, and God broke in and saved you. God changed you. It wasn't based on anything you had done. It wasn't based on how good you may have been. Questions you're asking, the family you were brought up into, as good as that may be, the reason you are a Christian is because God saved you and broke into your life. Broke into your life and turned everything around. God turned up and becoming a Christian requires a response to that. We call it faith. It says the, um, the, uh, the shepherds responded, didn't they? The God broke in, the message came and they responded in faith and they went and saw the baby. And as a believer, it requires a response of faith. We have the initial response, we call it like conversion. You become a Christian but actually it's one that carries on every day of your life and never ends because we're constantly making that choice to follow Jesus, to love him, to serve him. And they choose as a response then to tell others, which you know, echoes of Jesus' own words. He says, go into all the world and tell them about me. Make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything I've taught you. And that's what, and that's what the shepherds did. So they point to earth, very much to us, of lives being saved, turned around, and then going proclaiming the good news, which is just what he's asked us as a church to do. That's what we're about. And they also point to actually Jesus himself as the good shepherd, John chapter 10, the good shepherd. Jesus is the one who is our model. He says he came for the lost sheep. He came to call out the lost sheep, referring to us. He was the one who was going to lead the sheep, it says, and it says ultimately he is the one who's going to die for his sheep. So in terms of the shepherd, they point to earth, they point to the life Jesus lived, the life that we have been called into um, and the life that we've been saved for um, and everything like that. Let's finish with the last couple of bits of application for us. A couple of questions I want to ask you out of this uh, in light of the angels and the shepherd. The first one is, how are you going to look to heaven? How are we going to look to heaven? We had um, our prayer meeting a week or so ago and uh, Deji was leading worship, and as he started, he said, uh, said um, it would be great, as it's kind of our last meet, prayer meeting of 2013, he said, why don't we think of things God has done this year and thank him for them, as kind of as our beginning, as how we're going to start before we start making requests. Let's put our eyes on him and thank him for all the wonderful things he's done. And I started kind of processing through my head and thinking all the things in my life that God had done that I could be thankful for in the last um, 12 months. And what shamed me was how much I'd forgotten. You know, when you start thinking, you think, yeah, he did that, and he, he did that, and, and he did that, and you, you, start to, you forget them. They're kind of, they become so common, or they fade because they happened several months ago, ten months ago, they fade. And then as people started praying and sharing it, there were things that happened in others' lives that I knew about that I'd forgotten. So I felt like, man, God has done an awful lot. And the more we prayed and the more we gave thanks to God, more and more things came out. And I'd love us, as we end 2013, is to take time to thank God for what he's done in your life. Because what he's done in your life this year, there will be loads of things. And I don't know how it best works for you, but if you've got a journal or you write in something like that, take some time and write them down. I think it's more, you're more likely to remember these kind of things if you actually earth it in something rather than just, oh, think about it. Write it. Do something with it. Melanie talked last week about sitting around the table and enjoying kind of fellowship with one another. If you sit around the table as a family or as friends, talk about it. 
Say, what has God done in this year that you are thankful to him for? What is it? And actually share it with one another. Next time your life group meets, maybe you spend time doing that. Actually, let's thank God, put our eyes on heaven and recognise that good and perfect gifts come from him. And actually we thank him and give him praise and glory. So I encourage you to take the time, do it on your own, do it in your family group, do it with your friends, do it in your life group, but actually take time to thank God uh, for all that he's done in 2013. What about how we're going to look to earth? Well, the first thing I want to suggest is we're going to um, have an offering. Um, it's actually the first offering we've ever had in this church, uh, in a formal sense, and we're going to take an offering for the charity Home Start. Um, we raised money for them in the fun run we did in, back in June, and it was just a good opportunity. Home Start are a charity that help young families uh, that are finding it difficult and finding it tough kind of in the early stages of life, and they come alongside them and help them um, basically deal with life. And if you look at the demographics of our church, it's one that we feel quite attached to in terms of actually we've got so many young families here. And what we're going to do um, during the worship time, we're going to have an offering. There are um, envelopes around. If you need some more, I've got plenty more. If you want to give to that, if you don't and you've turned up and you're thinking, oh, I don't know about that, that's fine. But we'd love you just to give, and we're going to leave the box there Put it in um, your envelope. Uh, if you want to sign your name on it so we can get your gift aid back, that's fine. If you don't, don't worry. And you put it in the offering. And we just want to bless someone outside of us. Uh, none of this money will come to us. We'll bank it all. But then we'll give it all um, to Home Start um, and, and bless them. And we're going to do it. We're going to take the offering again at the beginning of January for those who are not here. Many have gone away for family for Christmas um, already. So that's one thing we're practically going to do. So I, I ask you can, to consider that. Um, make your checks payable to Real Life Church if you're writing a check, and we'll sort it all out and get it there. But looking forward into 2014, um, I want to ask you, what's your role going to be in the story? Because actually, the angels and the shepherds were the supporting cast there, but the supporting cast has got bigger and now involves us. We're part of God's great story, God's movie, if you want to use that, that uh, terminology, and we're the supporting cast. Jesus will always be the leading man. He will always be the hero of the story. We have a director, a sovereign God, who is watching over everything. But we have the privilege to work alongside, be the supporting cast, to point to him constantly in everything we do. And I want to ask you the question, what are you going to do when it comes to 2013 to play your part in this story? How are you going to be the supporting cast? I'll give you some suggestions to, to think about and chew over uh, this Christmas period as we, we kind of round out 2013. Does it mean telling your story more? Your story of how God saved you and changed your life is unique because your story is only about you and what God did with you and it won't be like anyone else's, else's because it involves you and no one else's his story will be like that. It'll involve them. And so you've got a story to tell about how God broke into your life. And if you haven't ever thought about it and kind of try to kind of sink it down to a, an easy, manageable way of communicating it, have a think about that. Who can you share that story with? Who would be interested in knowing what God has done in your life? So you're going to have a go at telling your story, sharing it with people, friends, neighbours, colleagues, people who you've, you've never had the opportunity to say, look, this is what God's done in my life. This is how he saved me, turned me around. We love to pray for the sick here. If you're sick here this morning, we'd love to pray for you and see God move in your life. Is it something you want to actually try doing in 2014? 
Actually, I want to lay my hands on the sick and just ask God to heal them. <laughs> ask God to move in their life. Pray for them. And maybe that's something you want to pray into and say, God, give me those opportunities to pray for people. Uh, if you want to think about getting involved in serving the church, we need people to lead groups, join our PA, worship team, serve in those areas, work out with the kids and all that they do. Maybe God's blessed you with great finances and there's opportunities to give more money away. That's always a good one, to bless uh, others with finances and to help them out. A good question to ask yourself is, how can I best show off more of Jesus? How can I best in my life show off more of him? How can I play my part as a supporting actor and actress to point to the lead man, to say, this is the one who it's all about. This is the one who's, who's so important. He's the hero of the story. I'm not the hero of my story. Jesus is the hero. I live to serve him and point to him and make his name known and great. So I encourage you over the next kind of few weeks as we start the new year and our minds naturally turn to new beginnings and new things, ask yourself the question, how can I do that? How can I point to earth? What's God calling me to? Amen? Amen. Let me just pray and then Dave's going to come up and we'll get the kids back in and we will worship Jesus together. Lord God, we want to thank you that you came to earth, Lord Jesus. We want to thank you that we want to thank you that you put this whole plan together from the beginning, Lord, that you were directing everything. You had it all laid out, Lord God, and we thank you that you went through with it. Lord God, we thank you you came as a helpless baby. Lord, we thank you you grew uh, into a man that you lived the perfect life, that you, you, you did all the things you did, demonstrating the kingdom, healing the sick, raising the dead, teaching with such authority, performing miracles, loving the outcasts, the lonely, um, the, uh, the downtrodden, Lord God, and we thank you above all that you died on a cross in our place. You took the punishment we deserved. You took our place on that cross, Lord, and you bore it. Lord, then you rose victorious from death. You said, I've conquered the power of sin. I've conquered the power of death. I am alive forevermore. You rule and reign in heaven, Lord, and you offer the way to us. You say, come follow me. Come walk with me, Lord God. I want to thank you that you broke into our lives, saved us, called us to a new way with you. Lord Jesus, uh, we love you and we praise you uh, for that, Lord God. And as we kind of, as we leave this year, move into the next year, God, we ask you to give us hearts of thankfulness for all the wonderful things you've done. Remind us of how you've broken into our lives, Lord God. And I ask you, you give us courage and grace as we look to the new year uh, to know how best to live for you, serve you, honour you and glorify you. And God's people said, Amen.